Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And now I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us tonight. You are the teacher. So instruct our hearts. I pray for the spirit of revelation to rest on this place. Lord, I'm asking that just as you promised, you'd stand here with me, you'd hold my hand, allow me to speak as an oracle. I want to give you this as an act of worship. So Lord, I ask you, open our eyes and open my eyes. Open our, our understanding to comprehend Jesus more. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, we are on our seventh session of a series we've been doing called The Glory of Marriage. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about headship and mutual submission in marriage. Now, at a glance, those terms could seem uh, contradictory, conflicting, but uh, I think they actually work hand in hand with one another. I've read more on this subject than I care to read, just to be honest with you, because there's so many different ideas. Uh, You'd be shocked how much there is out there in the body of Christ on this topic. Uh, in, in the marriage relationship, and, and there's so many differing opinions. And I, again, want to just direct us back to the Word, and let's allow the Word to stand over us and speak to us truth. And so if we're going to do that, then we've got to know that it's possible, in fact, it's very likely, that our, what, we, what we grew up with may not have been what the Bible says is the way things are to go, in the marriage and in the home as it relates to headship and submission. And what we're doing today may not exactly be what the scripture lays out. Amen. And so if that's the case, then we've got to allow our hearts to be pricked with truth and allow the Lord to to redirect us. It's been a very uh, enriching, that's a nice flavorful word, enriching uh, time of study and, and, and reflection for me personally. And so uh, I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart along these issues of headship and mutual submission. So um, there's basically, in my mind, there's two pretty big extremes that uh, you see families, they fall into uh, in this issue of, of headship and mutual submission. I'm going to identify those in a moment. Let's read uh, the verses here in Ephesians 5, 21 through 25. We're going to spend most of our time here in Ephesians 5 uh, this evening. But let's go ahead and read this and get um, a backdrop from the Scripture. And, you know, I just find that if you just look at the Word and you read it real slow, it's amazing how truth will just pop right off the page at you. So here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include verse 21. If you're familiar with this portion of scripture, you know it goes 22, verse 22 to 33 is where Paul has his little teaching on marriage. Verse 21 is a broader subject where he's talking about how Christians should relate to one another. And so I believe that you include verse 21 in the subject of of the marital relationship because verse 21 is an overarching concept that marriage falls underneath. And so let's just look at it. Verse 21, he says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I'm using the New American Standard just because I prefer the way the language works. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. And if you're a man, I would, I would encourage you to underline that little phrase, the Savior of the body. That's a really intense little phrase that we'll talk about in a moment. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it goes on. And so I just wanted to read that as the backdrop. Now, I'm, I'm going to deal with husbands and wives uh, tonight, but I'll just tell you, if you're a man, you're probably going to get a bigger beat down. Uh, I'm probably, <laughs> probably going to come after you a little bit more. And the reason is obvious. 
the scripture addresses the man way more than it addresses the woman in this issue of headship and uh, mutual submission. And so I'm probably going to address the men uh, a little bit more on this point. Now, the two extremes that I identify, I, and there's probably many others, but there's, there's two chief ones that are in my mind that I think we see uh, in, in marriage relationships. Because we might even have the truth of the scriptures, but you know, the way that our lives play out a lot of times doesn't exactly line up. We, we play things out not exactly the way the word uh, identifies for us to, and, and those things, we want to get that out of the way. We want to get the contradiction between our lifestyle and the truth of the scripture. We want to get those things out of the way so that it's not contradictory. It's actually, you know, we're actually in harmony with the word. And so two extremes that I see is, uh, one, you can see, Oftentimes you see a dominant, very dominant husband, and everyone in the family, especially his wife, serves him, and everybody does what he says. He's, uh, you know, the one that makes most of the decisions, He doesn't tend to get input from others in the family, not his wife, and the entire mentality is based on uh, one verse, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. I just want to say this real clear. Uh, if this is your uh, mode in your family, uh, you need to repent, sir. You need to repent. Because this is not the biblical model. It's not what Scripture lays out. And you can't build your whole uh, culture of your family on one phrase that suits your needs. Yeah, I'm feeling it tonight. I said you can't build the whole culture in your family on one scripture that suits your needs. And so uh, if you are the center of your universe and your family all revolves around you like the planets do the sun, you need to repent. That's not godly and that's what not, not what God intended for the family. Amen. Now the other uh, extreme is this. Uh, you find where a husband, because he refuses to take the leadership role in the family, he becomes subservient. And I find that he'll become subservient to his wife for a couple reasons. One, he's just lazy. Two, he just is disconnected and disinterested. Uh, there's some men, they quit trying as soon as she said, I do. And they've just become uh, subservient in their role in the home. They uh, essentially neglect their, their leadership, and so then the wife has to take the leadership position, and she, with that position, she takes the responsibility for the state of the family. It all falls on her. Even provision and protection fall on her, and uh, basically, she has to make all the key decisions because the husband just won't. That, too, needs to be repented of if that's the mode in your family. That's not uh, the biblical picture that we get. Now, what I'm going to lay out for you is what I, I feel like the scripture gives us in terms of the model for headship and mutual submission. Now, in case you don't understand this, there are basically uh, two big camps uh, uh, that teach along these lines. One is called complementarian and one is called egalitarian. Egalitarian, that's the group that says there is no head in the home. We're all equal. And that's a train wreck. The marriage is a picture of uh, the authority structure that, that Jesus has with the church. So there is uh, clear headship. He headship is explicit in the scripture. It's explicit in the marriage. And so we know that there's clear headship. Now, the complementarian group says that there's headship, but a lot of times what happens is when uh, the, the topic of headship is taught, it's taught so male-dominated that you almost feel like the whole you know, role of the wife is just to serve the needs and the whims of the husband. And that, too, is error. That's not, that's not truth. And so I want to kind of work through scriptures to help us get a different uh, picture. But I, but I think of it this way, that the, the way that the thing is supposed to work properly is that the husband accepts the responsibility of headship, of being the head, just as the scripture says, the husband is the head of the, of the wife. And as such, as being the head, he realizes that he is to lead in the same manner that Jesus led. And so because he's going to lead in the same way that Jesus led, he's going to lay his life down. 
And so as head, he lays his life down, and therefore decisions that are made in the marriage and in the home, they're made with mutual agreement. They're made with cooperation. They're made with both parties deferring to one another. There's a very rare case, which I'll explain in a minute when I talk about the practicalities of submission. There's a very rare case where I think that uh, you make decisions without agreement, and it's very rare. I don't think it's the norm at all. I think it's the .001% of the time. The other decisions in life you make with mutual agreement. Parties defer to one another. Everybody is loving and supporting the other, and together... The goal is to serve and bless one another as you're growing together. And the husband's role is to lead in that. And so that's critical, beloved, because that gives us a different picture of uh, the way that uh, the, the, the marital relationship works. It's not this domineering thing where the husband says, I've got one verse up my sleeve, woman, you better submit. And if you don't, I'm going to bang you with it. And I'm going to... You know, some men's mentality of washing their wife with the water of the word is to tell them to submit. That's not how you wash your wife with the water of the word. Just a heads up. I'm, I'm, do, I'm, so, I'm doing it real well because I've got so much energy on this point. I, I'm, I'm really calm, actually. But I've got a, an internal inferno over this point. Okay, so there is legitimate headship, but here's the deal. Headship in marriage is primarily about order and responsibility. It's primarily about order and responsibility. It's not primarily about superiority. Got to get that one. Headship is not primarily about superiority. In fact, headship doesn't even imply that the guy that the, that the husband is superior to the wife. It doesn't even imply it. He's not superior intellectually. He's not superior spiritually. He's not superior in his competency. Headship is more about order and responsibility. It's 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 chiefly about that. It's not about superiority. I mean, if uh, if if it was about being superior and a guy had to marry somebody that was uh, not as smart as him, there'd be a whole lot of guys that couldn't get married. Praise God. <laughs> it's really true. Don't think, just, don't think for a second that uh, because the Lord calls you the head as the husband, that, that means you're smarter than she is. Let's do the math here. He creates a man, and then he creates a helper. Guess what, guy? You need some help. <laughs> she doesn't need the help. You do. Right? Figure that out. And so headship is... Leadership, it is, and leadership is servanthood. And I'm going to expound on that in a minute. I was thinking about leadership teams. If, if, if headship or leadership implied that uh, whoever is the leader is the most competent and that everybody that follows that leader is less competent, if that's what the thing was, there'd be a whole lot of churches without anybody in them. Praise the Lord. Because you have to be able to have a leader who has people that are following them that, are, that excel them in all sorts of ways, in our environment. You don't have to look very far to find a leader that's got people around them that are more competent. Here's one right here. Just on our leadership team, for instance, I've got a pilot, a doctor, and a summa cum laude graduate. Just on our leadership team. If, if uh, headship or leadership, I'm, I'm the human director, but man, if it required me to be, uh, you know, smarter than everybody else, we wouldn't be getting very far. I'll just say that. And so you've got to get that point. It's the way it is in ministry and it's the way it is in the family. Now, headship equals leadership. It does. And leadership equals servanthood. 
And that's critical for us to get. Leadership equals servanthood. And this is modeled by Jesus and by the apostles. And so what it ends up is this, is that as the leader, the husband gets to lead in serving and loving and giving and preferring. When you get in a fight, as the leader, you get to lead in saying, I'm sorry first. Even if you think she's wrong. Because if you're the leader, you're going to repent first. You're going to lead in meekness. You're going to lead in Christ-like character. And we're going to take Jesus as our example. We're going to look at Jesus as our model because that's how we're to love and serve. Husbands are to love and serve their wives as Christ loves and served the church. And I want to just lay a few verses out on this point. Defining headship. We're going to define it by Christ's model and the apostles' model. Matthew 20, if you've got your Bible, you can turn over there. It'll come up on your screens. Leadership is not about who decides first. It's about who loves first. Paul gives us the apostolic model. He says, apostles are first in calling and last in privilege. And so it is with headship in the home. In Matthew 20, Jesus is right here at the end of his life, and he's explaining to his disciples the the, the model of leadership he wants them to, to live. Verse 25, Jesus called them, the apostles, to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. What Jesus is referencing are Gentile landowners that were known as benefactors or lords. And these benefactors were, were generally very, very wicked men who would, I mean, they would hold the people under their thumb. They would require, you know, real strict taxes on the land. They were really, really kind of wicked guys. And then they would, they would do one good deed and require everybody to call them a benefactor. So they'd do one good deed and they'd say, okay, you guys all got to call me benefactor. And then they would go around just holding everybody under their thumb and requiring, you know, really intense servitude. And so he goes, the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. He goes, 26, it is not this way among you, or it's not to be this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. So Jesus lays out his model of leadership. He's God, but he comes to serve. He doesn't come to be served. Now think about that for a minute. I know you are, because you're quiet. But think about the way it works in our homes. We understand headship so many times, but so many times we think headship has to do with dominance or superiority. And therefore, the head gets the perks. Jesus says it completely the opposite. He goes, this is not a pyramid with you at the top and you get all the perks, not in ministry and not in marriage. He goes, what this is, is the guy that wants to be the greatest serves the most. He goes, just like I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And this is Jesus' model for us. It's so clean and so clear And so when Jesus loves the church and lays himself down for her, he's calling husbands to do the same for their wives, to love them and lay their lives down for them. I was uh, reading a C.S. Lewis quote. Actually, my wife told me about it. And and, uh, C.S. Lewis said, the greatest job uh, in this age a person can be called to is the job of homemaker. Because every other job is designed to serve that one. I like that. I think that's probably right. Every other job is designed to serve that one. All right, flip on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It'll come up on your screen, but I know people, you got your own Bible. You got to look at it in your own Bible. Verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. God in the flesh becoming poverty stricken, so to speak, so that the bride, so that you and I can receive the riches of Christ, so that we can become rich. Again, this is our picture. Jesus, who lays himself down to serve and to bless the bride. That's the picture in marriage. It'll prick you. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, husbands. I'm reading these verses going, whoa. I need to allow this to, to transform me even more. My wife and I, after I preached this morning, she was sitting right there. And I went home this afternoon, lay down for a little bit, and before I lay down, I said, okay, how, how are we doing on this, actually? <laughs> I can preach it real good, but how, how is this being lived out? She goes, well, I think you're a lot better now than you used to be. <laughs> I said, I'll take that as a check mark. Praise God. And then she said, but there's a couple areas I think we can get better on. And I said, tell me. I want to hear them. I want, I want to know how. And we had a good, good little talk about it. All right, look at this next verse, 1 Corinthians 4. I'm just laying out the definition of how Jesus served, how he calls us to serve, whether we're in leadership, in ministry, or in our homes. It's all the same. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here we go, verse 9. All right, I'll wait for you to get there. Something about when you look at it in your own Bible, it just, I don't know, it means more somehow. For I think, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 4, for I think that God has displayed us the apostles last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. There's the apostolic model for leadership. You go down so that others can benefit. I always, you know, the guy will put apostle on the business card or whatever, and I just think, brother, you don't know what, you've, what you're signing up for. Because what you're signing up for, what the apostle Paul said, he goes, we have become the dregs, the offscoring of all things. And what, he said, what he's talking about is that, you know, the coffee grounds, the, you know, the little grounds that are left in the bottom when the filter doesn't work right, the stuff you'd never drink because it's all, you know, nasty. He goes, that's us. We've become that part that gets thrown away so that everybody else can be blessed. And therein we have the true apostolic model that leadership is about making others great at the expense of yourself. That's it, beloved. Making others great at the expense of yourself. And guess what, husbands, in the home, you know what your headship means? It means you get to make your wife great, even at the expense of yourself. You get to make your children great, even at the expense of yourself. That's what it means to be head in the home. You lay yourself down unto the other's blessing and benefit, chiefly your wife. Amen. Man, I'm preaching good. Where are you, what are y'all listening to? This is awesome. <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be laid out. True headship is servanthood. It's servanthood. It's lives laid down in love. And so, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this because as a father, I've, I have four children. And I thought, you know, I want my children to love me, for sure. But the greatest testimony in, in my life won't be if my children just think I'm a great guy and, and love who I am as a, a minister or whatever. That won't be the greatest testimony. The greatest testimony will be that in whatever they're called to do, whether it's be in ministry or in business or whatever, that I bless and serve and support and lay myself down for them so that no matter what they do, they are greater, they do greater, they, they excel and they go further than I ever dreamed to. That's what, that's what fathering is about in the home. It's a, and that's what leadership is about in the church. 
Leadership in the church is about the, the, those that are called in the five-fold ministries for them to lay themselves down. Why? So the bride can do the works of the ministry. Th- look, that verse in Ephesians 4, that... Help me, Holy Spirit. That is not chiefly to try to get greater volunteerism going in the church. What that's about is the apostolic model for leadership in the body where those that are called to serve through preaching and teaching are pouring themselves out, laying themselves down so the anointing can rest on the bride to do the works of the ministry, to actually do the kingdom stuff. This idea that everybody sits and watches the man of God do his thing and we're all doing church, that's just dumb. We need everybody flowing in power and and releasing the the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the kingdom in the earth. I'll get off my soapbox. All right, flip back on over to Ephesians 5. So I believe in headship. I don't believe in the egalitarian thing that says there is no headship. I think headship is explicit. It's clearly defined. But I think that the definitions for headship are found in Christ and the apostles. And it's rare that we see men serving that way in the home. So I love mutual submission. I love the concept of it. Now here's the thing. Because you got to get to the place where you go, okay, so how does this thing practically play out? What are sort of the, what are the, 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 guidelines, so to speak, for, for submission and mutual submission in the home. How does this thing work? Well, let's just kind of work through it. There's a lot of men, they, they love the one verse, wives, submit to your husbands. And then they got the other one. Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Like they got their shotgun loaded and one barrel's got submit woman and the other one's got call me Lord. And, 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 and that's about the extent of the washing of the water of the word you get in the home sometimes. Well, the thing that those guys, like, uh, they don't really realize is that, you know, and we know the story of Abraham. He was looking for a righteous seed. We know that the Lord had given him a promise that he would have heirs as, as many as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And, and when it came down to it, uh, he and his wife, they were barren. They didn't have any children. And so he was, you know, he's old and, he, and he's thinking, how, does this, how is this going to work? And so then he takes uh, Hagar, Sarah's servant, and she conceives and he has an Ishmael, uh, you know, by Hagar. Well, the Lord comes back to him and says, no, no, no. I'm going to name your seed through your wife, Sarah. She's going to bear you a son. You're going to have an heir. And, and then the Lord tells, this is so wild. The Lord tells Abraham in Genesis 21, listen to your wife and follow what she says. And so it's clear and, and it's in regard to what's he, do with, what's he supposed to do with Hagar and Ishmael. And he has to send his own son away as a result. I mean, this isn't just like a, listen to your wife, you know, she likes this pattern on the dishes more than that one. This is a major issue. And the Lord has Abraham submit to his wife. It's pretty intense. And so my point becomes this, that mutuality and submission is established early on in the scripture in the home. So that's why Ephesians 5.21 says, be subject to one another. Be subject to one another. So there's many times, many opportunities that you and I have in our marriages where we are able to submit to one another, to defer to one another, to give preference to the other. I think that's the general way that we're supposed to flow. Now here's how it works. Submission can only be offered. It can never be demanded. Submission has to be offered. It cannot be demanded. Because if you demand submission, that's lording it over. And that's what the Lord says not to do. So submission is something that's offered. It's offered because of love in relationship. And that's why the Lord lays out Ephesians 5 the way he does. He goes, okay, leader guy. Love real good. Love your wife. Lay yourself down for her, just like Jesus laid himself down for the church. And wives, subject yourself, submit yourself to his leadership. I'll tell you this, uh, husbands. If, uh, if you're a well-submitted man, you're going to be easy to submit to. 
A well-submitted man is easy to submit to because he's submitting to the Holy Spirit. He's submitting to the Lord. He's submitting to the authorities in his life. He's flowing in love. And that man is going to be easy to submit to. An unsubmitted man is difficult to submit to. So here's where we go. Oh, and I want to mention this. If the scripture is addressed to you in the marriage, then it's your business. But if it's not addressed to you, that's not your business. I love how a lot of uh, you know wives are are you know they are uh, they are scholars on all the things that the husbands are supposed to do in the homes, and, and and all the husbands are scholars on what the wives are supposed to do in marriage. Let's I tell you what, focus on the verses that are directed to you. Work real diligently by the Spirit and in grace on the things that are directed to you, and I promise it'll go well for you. It doesn't mean it's going to make your marriage perfect, but it'll go well for you in God. Because we don't, here's the deal. Wives, you're not to submit because he loves, you're, sub, you're to submit because Jesus said to in the scriptures. And husbands, you're not to love because you're going to get her to submit. She may never submit, but you still love anyway. Why? Because we honor the Lord in the scripture. We honor the word. And so regardless of the outcome, we do our part and we don't go and try to make the other do their part. As I said, submission, it cannot be demanded. It can only be offered. So here it is. Five times in the New Testament, women are told to be submissive to their husbands. I like Colossians 3.18 because it adds a phrase. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's a good little phrase. It's Colossians 3.18. You might want to... Just mark that verse down and go back and take a look at it. I think it's got a, a, uh, a real truth that's embedded in it. So here's how it goes. In, in terms of submission, if we've got mutual submission going, this is the way that the lifestyle of marriage is supposed to work out, I think, 99.999% of the time. What happens is this. You've got a scenario. There needs to be agreement. And so you go for mutual agreement. Whatever the decision that's got to be made, you, you, you have the situation in front of you, you discuss it, you pray about it, and you, you work through the details of that decision until you can get into agreement. Sometimes if one party really thinks it's you know, this way and the other party really thinks it's that way, you might have to wait a while. And that can be the most difficult thing, to, to wait to get into agreement. But that, beloved, is, I think, one of the most priestly and godly things. And love is patient. And so waiting in marriage is uh, an outflow, an overflow of love. Now, I want to say this. Wives, don't worry about that, the waiting thing. Here's why. There's something about the Lord where he really likes women who pray for their husbands. He encourages women. He says, I want you to, to actually win your husbands without a word. Keep good conduct and a meek spirit. And you're going to be able to win your husbands without a word. Now, how's that work? It's because the wife intercedes for the husband to get the mind of the Lord. He needs help. Let me give you an example. My wife was raised, her, her mom was an educator and, and she was raised with a value for reading. Uh, my family growing up, we were raised with a value for cable. Praise God. <laughs> and so when it came down to us having our family, uh, it was totally my wife's idea that we would read to our children. We began to read to our children when their babies were actually reading to our four-month-old daughter right now. My wife's already doing it. Because she has totally led in that in our family, and it's been great. And uh, there's been different seasons where I've, led, uh, where I've read to our children more and different seasons where I've read to our children less. But coming up on this past holiday season, I'm not really sure why, but I got the, the strangest desire to read long hours to our, our children. And I, and I bought a trilogy of books, like 1,500 pages and started sitting down and reading 60 and 70 pages, two and three and four hours at a time to our children. They're sitting on the edge of their seats. It's great. They're begging me to read more. It's amazing. 
Finally, after about a month of it, my wife fessed up. She goes, oh yeah, I've been praying for this for a long time. (laughs) And what I think is this, there are the global crises of the earth that are addressed in prayer, and then there's the direct one-shot elevator ride to the throne room reserved for wives who are praying for their numbskull husbands. So the woman goes, Lord, I just want to ask you, you know, bless husband. You are escorted in front of the line. I mean, we've got crisis in the Middle East. They go, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've got a lady over here praying for her husband, and we know he needs the help. What is it, sweetheart? No problem. Make that man buy about 1,500 pages of trilogies and read to the children. I really believe it's like that. There's, a, there's like a special grace on the woman that, that won't rail on her husband, but will pray for her husband. There's something unique that happens. And my wife, I mean, she has got the testimonies to back it up. There are so, so many times when, uh, man, I'm just, I'll be going along doing my life, and the next thing I know, I'm doing something completely different, and I'm thinking, wow, oh, this is not like me at all, this, but I'm enjoying this. This is great. And my wife's happy, and I'm like, what happened here? Are you praying? Did you pray me into this? Like, what did you do to me? And so often, that's the case. So, well, that was a little side journey. So the prayer thing, I think there's a special grace on that, especially for wives. It works for husbands, too. You're not supposed to be beating her over the head with the word. You're supposed to wash her with the water of the word. I have an opinion on that. Maybe we'll get to share that. But how does this thing actually work, then? If we've got... Mutual submission going on. We're deferring to one another. Husbands are laying their lives down. How then, where does the rubber meet the road with submission? Because there's got to be something that this guy is uh, the head, and there's got to be a reason why or how this thing plays out when the scripture identifies five different times wives are supposed to be subject to, to his leadership, to his headship, to your husband. So how does that actually play out? What's the practicality of that in life? I think it works like this. 99.99% of the time, you've got to make a decision. You talk about it. You pray about it. If you're not in agreement, you wait. And you wait till you're in agreement or you don't make the decision. Did you hear that? You wait till you're in agreement or you don't make the decision. But I think there are 0.001% of the time when there is a time frame on a decision, there's a deadline that must be met. A decision has to be made by a certain deadline. A lot of times we've got our deadline. We think the deadline is the sale is going to end Friday. The sale ending isn't the deadline I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of more thing, you know, things that are more crucial to life than our 20% off at Macy's. Okay, so you've got a deadline coming up and you've got a life decision you've got to make. And here's what's happening. You're talking about it, but you're not in agreement. You're praying about it, but you still haven't come together on it. The deadline is approaching. A decision has to be made. Those are, those are few times in life. When it gets down to it, if you guys aren't on the same page and the decision has to be made, the guy that's responsible, the head, has to be able to make the call and wives. You have to submit to his leadership there. And what you do is... You might think it's completely off, but you trust God who told you to be in subjection to your husband, and you pray through the whole thing, and this is wonderful for everybody's meekness. It's wonderful for your meekness, wife, because you submit as the Lord uh, has instructed you to, and you take your your role as a subservient to the head in your family, and it's wonderful for the husband because if he's wrong, guess what he's going to have to come back and do? I'm so sorry, wife, I made a mistake. Maybe next time I'll actually listen to you. But that's the 1.0001% of the time when this thing, the rubber meets the road. Other times, you wait. You wait for mutual agreement. That's godly, that's priestly, and it's Christ-like. And it's love. Because love is patient. That's how you walk this thing out. You, you, You walk through this thing always deferring. There are so many things in in our family life that I just defer to my wife. One of the things is like what we, you know, what we eat. And I don't mean like she has to cook all the meals. I mean, she sets the, she sets the diet for the family. 
And so the boys will come to me, because they know. They'll come to me and say, Dad, can I have a treat? And I say, you got to ask your mom on that. Because they know that she's got the standard and she bears the standard in our home. In fact, she manages, my wife manages like 90% of our personal uh, affairs in our home. The, there's very few things that she's not running uh, the show on. And I'm just totally deferring to her because she has got the domestic ability and grace to run a family with four boys and now a baby girl. And she knows what she's doing. So I just defer. I go, yes, ma'am, you just tell us what we're doing. I bless, I want to help and bless her role and lay my life down to make it easier. What can I do? You want me to put together, okay, a toy box. That's what we, you know, she got, she bought a little toy box for Raya this week. And I'm like, I'm the toy box maker. Here I am. I'm ready to serve and to defer to your leadership. There are rare instances. In fact, we were talking about it because I was scratching my head this morning. I I cannot think of a time, and and she can't either because we talked about it, where there was a time where I actually had to just say, I'm the head and I'm making the decision. We can't, we've been married 18 years. I can't think of one time when I had to pull the headship card because we had to make a decision. The Lord has led us to continue to defer and, and be subject to one another and, and walk in mutual submission. And if you walk into my home, we continually work in mutual submission, but there's never a question about where the headship is. And, and, and that's how it's supposed to be. And I'm learning as a man to lay my life down even more for my wife. And husbands, I'm trying to encourage you to embrace a Christ-like model of leadership in your home so you lay your life down for her to make her great in what it is the Lord has called her to be. Here's the thing. Calling. Calling in a family. Both husband and wife are equally called by God. They are equally called by God. And as the head, sir, you get the responsibility of saying yes in your calling and encouraging your wife and affirming her in hers. And that's what you're required to do. Now, all of that is reciprocal. The wife can affirm and encourage the the husband in his calling, uh, but the man's got to lead in it. He does it first. He lays himself down first to bless his wife first. He leads in that way. All right, one last thing I want to show you in Ephesians 5, because I, I believe it's a, a really important uh, feature of what Paul is laying out for us in Ephesians 5. I, this morning, I, I took them right to this point, and they got on overload just like you guys are right now. And I, then I went verse by verse through Ephesians 5. I just kept hitting them. It was awesome. I did that for the podcast. But I... Five parts of Ephesians 5. I want to take you just to one of them. And I want to, I want to propose an idea to you. So turn, you're, you're in Ephesians 5. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I had you write, had you underlined the Savior of the body earlier? Underline, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Here we see Jesus' ministry to the church. He's continuously seeding revelation into the heart of the bride. He's washing her with the water of the word so that she can come out of uh, the contradiction, come out of sin, come out of the brokenness of her heart and find herself without spot or without any blemish. This is what Jesus does. This is how Jesus ministers to us, continuously flowing and releasing revelation to our hearts so that we'll be alive and we'll be sanctified, set apart. I really believe this, and I've talked to a couple marriage counselors. I said, I want to throw an idea by you. What do you think about this? And in and, and, and the cases when I've mentioned that to marriage counselors, they say, no, that's exactly what it is. I said, I think this, and I believe this is what, why Paul is laying it out this way, but as, and it is uh, in accordance with the headship issue, that I think this, that you know, when you stay married any amount of time, you get really acquainted with your spouse's issues. 
Any married couples recognize that? Like you know where their inner healing is doing really good and where it's kind of worn off a bit. I mean, you know what's going on in the inner workings of your spouse. It seems real clear to me that the Lord calls husbands as one of their chief ministries to love their wives unto the spots and the blemishes in their soul being healed. And that husbands are required to lay themselves down for the healing of their wives in the exact same way that Jesus laid himself down for the salvation of the bride. And here's what I want to say to you. There's much that we can learn from this if men would truly lay themselves down for their wives, there's really so much healing that would take place, as in, especially in the area of father wounds, of trust issues. If men would, would not exploit their wives, but lay their hearts and lay their lives down for their wives, there's much healing that would take place. And I believe this is exactly what Paul is targeting. He's dealing with the issue of men exploiting women or women feeling exploited. And he's, and he's dealing with that by saying, no, man, what I want you to do is lay yourself down and serve your wife unto her sanctification, unto her being spotless, unto her being without blemish. And, and I've, as I've shared this with a couple counselors, they said, no, I think, uh, one guy said it to me this way. He says, no, I think for sure there's a responsibility on each but he said, I believe before the Lord, the way the scriptures are written, it appears there's a greater responsibility on the man to actually lay himself down for his wife. There's a responsibility on each, but the Lord is gonna look at the man and say, did you do this? You're the head. Did you do this in your family for the healing and blessing of your spouse? Now that is a really intense thought. I don't wanna put you under pressure. We need grace, man. That's what we need to be good husbands. And to, and to serve our, our families the way that Jesus wants us to. But that's what it means to be head. What, being head doesn't mean you get the chair with the remote control and everybody brings you potato chips and Coke all day long. That's not what being head means. Being head means you love first, you give first, you serve first, you bless first, you repent first. Even if you think she's wrong, you repent first. You lead in meekness. And you lead in humility. Last verse, Ephesians 5.33, and the worship team can come on up. Here we go in Ephesians 5.33. Paul is summarizing the whole discussion, and he boils it down to two things. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Husbands, you love your wives as, as you love yourself. See, if you love your wife, Paul tells us, tells us in Ephesians 5 that you actually love yourself. Don't worry about trying to get more stuff for yourself. Love your wife and you're loving yourself. So he says, here's the summary. Love her as you love yourself, just as you nourish and cherish yourself. Nourish and cherish her. And wives, respect. That word is revere. Other verses, it's translated, be afraid. I don't think the Lord's trying to get our wives to cower uh, you know, from, their, from our husbands. But he's, he wants the wives to revere and respect the role and the authority structure that God has put in place. And he wants us, our, our wives, he wants the wives to subject themselves and respect and revere this thing because this is God's idea. And I was thinking about this, you know, if, uh, if wives would actually just say that to their husbands from time to time, I want you to know I respect you as the, the head of our marriage. I respect you and I honor your position and your role as the leader. I know it's probably not easy, but I, I appreciate it and I honor it and I, and I want to subject myself to you because I know God made you leader. I think that would go a long way in this discussion, and I think it would help our, our, our wives' hearts in this area of submission. You'll submit where you feel safe, and, and if husbands love well, that, that'll help you to feel safe, and submission becomes real easy. But there's a thing that you can do uh, intentionally, and it's just walking out this 533. Love her 
the way you love yourself, bless her, the way you bless and nourish yourself and wife, respect and honor and revere the position of head that the Lord has given him. That's so, so critical and so important. Amen. All right, let's stand. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to call anyone forward. But I want us to all just take a moment. I want us to close our eyes before the Lord. Husbands, wives, singles, it's fine. You can be single and do this too. If you're single, you just consider your paradigm. If you're married, you consider the practice of your family life. I want us to consider where we are and how our actual lives, how we actually walk out this issue of headship, husbands. How is your servanthood in the home? Does it look like Jesus? Are you giving yourself for her? Just take a moment, husbands, consider who you are as head. There's an order and a responsibility the Lord has placed in the home. It mirrors the order in the kingdom. Christ is head. No one would contest that and therefore we don't contest this issue. Husbands, you're the head of your wife. Are you loving her the way Jesus loves her? Are you loving her through laying your life down? Now, wives, I want you to consider. Do you respect and revere your husband as the the leader? Do you respect his headship? Consider it. Do you pray for him? as the one who's got the responsibility to be head. So allow Holy Spirit just to speak to us for a moment. Let's just take a pause for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to shine on our hearts and speak to us over these issues. Come Holy Spirit, I'm asking. Speak to us.